Well, open your Bibles with me to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. Continuing our study through the book of Galatians. And we are at a text today that could be profoundly discouraging or profoundly encouraging. It's interesting. Uh, When I read it, you'll understand. Before, uh, let's just go ahead and dive into it. Galatians chapter 1. Let's start reading in verse 10. I'm sorry, Galatians chapter 3. No, we're not starting over. (laughs) Galatians chapter 3 and verse 10. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. Now, I've got to tell you, if you're of the works of the law, that's pretty discouraging. You're under a curse. And then look at what it says. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all those things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident. For the just shall live by faith. And the law is not of faith, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is every one that hangeth on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Look at verse 10 with me again. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. Look at verse uh, verse 11. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident, for the just shall live by faith. But why is the law a curse? Why is the law a curse? The Bible says the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to the Father. The purpose of the law was to teach us that we can't be righteous. One of the mistakes that I think that Christians today make is when we think of the law, we think of Ten Commandments. Now, the Ten Commandments are included in the law, but the law is all of the Word of God. Every precept, every truth, every command, every admonition, every bit of that is the law. Now, the the Jewish Pharisees and the Jewish teachers had come up with 613 specific laws that you had to obey. Can you imagine that, 613? You know, God put Adam and Eve in the garden. He gave them two laws. Be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth, and don't eat of the fruit of the the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Two. And they couldn't keep two. If they can't keep two, how are they going to keep 613? And honestly... It was very naive for those scholars to think that there are only 613. Uh, There there are an infinite number of possibilities for our behavior to come up against God's holiness. Amen? So if you are a person that thinks that you are going to heaven because you are obeying God, because you are being good, let me tell you something. You are really deceived. Uh, Worse than that, you're under the curse. The curse. Now, I'm so glad that Christ hath redeemed us from that curse. 
Those of us who come to Him by faith, because the just shall live by faith. Those of us who understand that the only way to have eternal life, the only way to have our sins forgiven, the only way to have peace with God is by receiving the free gift of eternal life that He's offered us. We're redeemed from the curse of the law. What a blessing that is. I want us to go to verse 13. And look at what it says. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. All right? So the Bible says that Jesus Christ was made a curse for us. What does that mean? Well, I want to begin this morning by talking about what it doesn't mean. And this is really important, and we're going to get to some stuff that is going to be very helpful for you. So I hope that you all will give me your attention and, and listen to what God is teaching through His Word. First of all, what doesn't it mean? It doesn't mean that Jesus Christ ever did anything that was displeasing to the Father. Is that right? Jesus Christ didn't go to the cross because He had sinned. There was no sin in Him. We've got to make sure that we understand that. Uh, there are some teachers, whether it's Kenneth Copeland or many of the... Uh, uh, Kenneth Hagen, um, Marilyn Hickey, all of these people, Benny Hinn, what they believe is that Jesus had to go and suffer and be tormented in hell because of His sin. When Jesus Christ took on our sin, He became a sinner. That's their understanding. Satan defeated Jesus Christ on the cross. That's their understanding. Let me tell you something. There's not a possible way for Satan to defeat Jesus Christ. It cannot happen. Jesus Christ was not defeated. His death was an accomplishment, according to the Word of God. He accomplished His death. So He was never displeasing to the Father. I was under the curse because of my sin. I deserve to be cursed because of my sin. Those who do not keep all the law all the time are cursed because they have not kept the law. When Jesus Christ hung on the cross, He could still say, I do always those things that please my Father. He could say that. He was pleasing His Father even while He was on the cross. He was never a sinner. It was in perfect obedience to his father's will. When he took our place at Calvary, it was in his father's plan. The Bible says in Acts chapter 2, and I think it's verse 23, that it was by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God that Jesus Christ died. He was being obedient to his father, not disobedient. So when Jesus Christ was on the cross, it does not mean that he ever did anything that was displeasing to the father. Jesus never sinned, so he was never cursed as a sinner. So, first of all, it doesn't mean that he ever did anything displeasing to the Father. And then secondly, he didn't deserve what happened to him. He did not deserve what happened to him when he was on the cross. He had done no wrong. There was no charge that could be proven against him. Judas said, I am guilty of, of the innocent blood. Of the innocent blood. Why does it say the innocent blood? Because there's only one who had innocent blood. And that's Jesus Christ. That's the significance of the virgin birth. Why did he have to be born of a virgin? Because according to the word of God, our sin is passed down to us through our fathers. Jesus Christ did not have Joseph's blood. He had his heavenly father. He had no earthly father. The virgin birth is vital to Jesus Christ having innocent blood. Now, I just have to point this out. If you have a modern translation of the Bible, it just says innocent blood. It removes thee. That's an important thing. That's an important thing. Jesus Christ had the innocent blood. The only one. That's it. 
the Bible also tells us, when Judas said, the innocent blood, the Pharisees said, what is that to us? We don't care. The Bible says that when Pilate tried him, he said, there's no cause for me to put him to death. He's not, he's not done anything. The thief on the cross who said he's done, he's done nothing amiss. We deserve to be here. He's done nothing amiss. Jesus Christ was innocent. He was perfect. He didn't deserve what happened on the cross. He was always holy, harmless, undefiled. Now, there's something that's really significant. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 53. I want you to see something. We're going to come back to Galatians, so keep your place there. Isaiah chapter 53. This is honestly what we're talking about this morning. It's the most wonderful story that's ever been told. That he who knew no sin was made to be sin for us. I want you to notice something. Jesus Christ, according to the verse I just quoted, that is 2 Corinthians 5.21, the Bible says, He who knew no sin was made to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of Christ in Him. All right? So that, that's an amazing exchange, isn't it? His righteousness for my sin. So what happened there? And what we're talking about this morning, he who knew no sin, where Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. What does that mean that he was made a curse? Did he become a sinner? We're demonstrating that that's not true. The reason that Jesus Christ took on a body, we've seen the passage through the Christmas season in Hebrews chapter 10, where the Bible says, thou hast prepared for me a body, a body thou hast prepared for me. Jesus Christ took on flesh and bones so that he could bear the sin of the world. The Bible says in Ezekiel chapter 18 and verse 20, the soul that sinneth shall surely die. That's what the Bible says. The soul that sinneth shall surely die. Look what the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 53. Verse 10. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. This is a prophecy more than 700 years before Christ about what he would go through. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Uh, even there, doesn't that reiterate our first point? Jesus Christ, when he was on the cross, was still pleasing his Father. Amen? Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt, look at what it says. When thou shalt make his body an offering for sin. What does your Bible say? How many of you understand there's a difference between your soul and your body? You see, Jesus Christ's soul was the sinless sacrifice for you and me. All of our sin was placed on his body on the tree. Is that what the Bible says? But that body alone could not be the sacrifice for us. The soul, the sinless soul of Jesus Christ was the acceptable sacrifice to the Father. Now, this becomes very important. When Jesus was on the cross, He bare in His body our sin so that we could go free. But His soul was holy and His soul was always undefiled. He bore our sin in His body, and His righteous soul was given for us as an offering that was acceptable to the Father. 
Christ was not guilty. He was innocent. I was guilty. He did not become guilty. He bore guilt, but it was my guilt, not His. It never became His guilt. Now, I want you to see something. Go back with me to Galatians chapter 3. And if you notice me struggling a little bit this morning, it's because I could spend a really long time on this. But to, to get the impact of the passage, I want to condense it to a few truths. And we may revisit the text. But look at what it says. Verse 3 again. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Christ, I wrote it down, let me read it so I don't misstate it. Christ did not bear the penalty of the law. Now, how many of you, that's, that statement kind of gives you pause? He, he didn't bear the penalty of the law. L let me explain it to you. His sufferings were in the place of the penalty, not the penalty itself. The Bible tells us that for me, if I had never trusted Christ Jesus as my Savior, not that I would be condemned, but that I was condemned already. Is that right? He that believeth not is condemned already. So, what was I condemned to? Eternity in hell, separated from God. I was condemned to an eternity of torment in the flames of fire. Is that right? Where, can we take Jesus Christ's word for it? How many of you trust Jesus? Listen to what he said. Where the worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. And the idea there is the man is in hell, and hell is in the man. It's horrible. It is horrible. The other thing that we learn from uh, the story of Lazarus and the rich man, the Bible says that... that they both died. The rich man had fared sumptuously, and Lazarus sought to eat crumbs from the, the table of the rich man, and the dogs would come and lick his sores. Well, they died. And Lazarus was carried, who was a believer, was carried to the bosom of Abraham, Abraham's bosom. The rich man, the Bible says, he woke in hell, being in torment. And so he said, he, said, he, he could see afar off, and we're not going to go into why he could do that, but he could, see if, he could see Lazarus afar off in Abraham's bosom being comforted. And he said, send Lazarus to dip his tongue in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. Dip his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I'm tormented in this flame. And then he said this. Abraham said, well, no. In your life, you had good things, but now you're tormented and he's comforted. And then he said, well, wait a minute, I've got four or five brothers and my father, go tell them. And Abraham said, no, they have Moses and the prophets. If they'll hear not them, they would not believe even if one rose from the dead. Is that right? So here's what we have. This rich man is in hell, being tormented in the flame, and he has a consciousness of his past life. So not only 
is he's suffering in the pain of hell physically, but he's also suffering emotionally the torment of his past sin. Is that right? Well, Jesus Christ never suffered in the flame of hell. And Jesus Christ certainly had no past sin to be tormented of emotionally. Thirdly, Jesus Christ was in the grave for three days and three nights, not in the flames of hell for eternity. So Jesus Christ did not suffer the penalty of hell, but God looked at the offering that Jesus Christ made and received that as an acceptable substitute for the eternal suffering of mankind. Do you see that? This becomes very important. Jesus Christ was holy, uh, harmless, and undefiled. He was never sinful in any way, whether on the cross or off the cross, whether walking the earth or in the grave. Jesus Christ was never a sinner. Because He never had any sin, He rose from the dead, He has ascended to the Father, and He is seated at the right hand of the Father. That means He can be forever the mediator of good things for us. He has no sin. That sinlessness is vital to where you and I are today. That's how we've been redeemed from the curse of the law. Jesus did not weep and wail and gnash His teeth in the lake of fire. He did not bear the full penalty for breaking the law. He became the sacrifice for us. Now, next. Not only was he, did he not deserve to go to the cross, but uh, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21. What is this, this curse? What does it mean? Second Corinthians chapter 5. Obviously, this is one of my favorite passages. We talk about it constantly. Verse 21, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For he hath made him, that's Jesus Christ, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. See what it says? For he hath made him to be sin for us. Uh, uh, this, this might help you to remember this. If you'll mark that word sin there. If you'll mark that word sin. It says, He hath made him to be sin, not to be a sinner. Is that right? Those few letters are vital. And that's why the Bible says that until he, until he comes, not one jot nor one tittle will pass away. Every word, every letter, everything must be preserved for the word to be true. Because those simple little differences are vital. He was made sin for us, not a sinner. If he became what you were, he could not have saved you. He did not take your place as a sinner. He took the sinner's place. You see how important that is? He, he didn't become a sinner. It would be like this. Imagine if Jesus Christ said, I want to save Aaron, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to come and become a sinner like Aaron and die for him. Do you know what would have had to happen then? God would have had to kill both of them. Because His righteousness must be satisfied. His justice must be satisfied. So what He did was Jesus Christ, the very Son of God, the Father made a body for Him so that 
as a sinless sacrifice, he could pay the penalty that Aaron deserved. That's what happened on the cross. It's so important. Jesus Christ never became a sinner. He was always holy, harmless, undefiled. Um, if he died in your place because of what you are, now he can save you. And again, that's why the virgin birth is so important. All right. So we know it, what it doesn't teach now. Is that right? <laughs> We've learned what it doesn't teach. So what does it teach? What does it teach? Let's go back to Galatians chapter 3. So what does it teach? All right. Christ, verse 13, hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Whenever you see it is written, it's probably a good, time, a good place to go and find out where it was written. All right, so let's do that. Keep your place in Galatians 3, and let's go to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 21 and verse 23. We've been describing Jesus Christ's sinlessness. Let's go to Deuteronomy 21. Let's start reading in verse 18. Young people, I want every one of you young people to have your Bibles open right here. Deuteronomy chapter 21. Do we have any parents here? How many of you are parents? I want you parents to have your Bibles open here. Let's get some insight into the mind of God. Deuteronomy 21, verse 18. If a man have a stubborn and rebellious son, which will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and that when they have chastened him, will not hearken unto them, then shall his father and his mother lay hold on him, and bring him out unto the elders of his city, and unto the gate of his place. And they shall say unto the elders of the city, This our son is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. And all the men of his city shall stone him with stones that he die. So shalt thou put evil away from among you, and all Israel shall hear and fear. So now, all your parents, we brought a pile of rocks to the back of the church. Let's adjourn to the back of the building for some child rearing. I'll tell you what, in the Old Testament, when you had a child that was stoned, it meant something different. That is serious, isn't it? Now, let me ask you something. Was Jesus Christ this kind of son? No. This is the context of the verses in Galatians. Is that wild? So the, the passage in the Bible that's about our liberty in Christ, the context that he draws it from is that. How many of you young people are glad you've been redeemed from the curse of the law? Amen? Amen. Look at the next verse now. Look at verse, 20, uh, verse 22. And if a man have committed a sin worthy of death, and this is, an, this is an interesting sentence structure, all of you English teachers, and he be to be put to death, and thou hang him on a tree, 
His body shall not remain all night upon the tree, but thou shalt in any wise bury him that day. For he that is hanged is accursed of God, that thy land be not defiled, which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance. All right, so let's learn a couple of things about this passage in Deuteronomy before we go back to Galatians. The first thing that I want you to understand is that capital punishment is the will of God. Amen? Capital punishment for murder, a a, a sin that's unto death, a a behavior that would bring about the, the death penalty that is from God. The death penalty was instituted before the law. But it's reiterated in the law as we see right here. The other thing. The purpose of the death penalty is not to deter crime. though that may be a helpful result. The purpose of the death penalty is not... Listen. The purpose of the death penalty is not simply to keep the murderer from committing murder again. And we understand that just happened. Last month, some guy killed... He had an argument with his wife over what they were supposed to eat. And so he killed her and two of her sisters but he shouldn't have ever been there to do it because he had killed somebody in the 1970s and had only served 10 years of a sentence. So if capital punishment had been imposed, those people would still be alive, but that's not why God instituted the death penalty. God instituted the death penalty because if you have a murderer that defiles the land, and God was concerned about his land because that's where the Messiah was going to come from. That's where the Messiah is coming back to reign. That was the purpose of the death penalty. So uh, I I was listening to James Knox, and the illustration that he used was this. How many of you remember Charles Manson? I I, I was in high school. I remember that that movie, Helter Skelter, a TV movie was out. My dad wouldn't let me watch it. And the kids were reading that book, Helter Skelter, about the life and the crimes of Charles Manson. You understand that today, when was that? Does anybody remember the year that was? Anybody have any idea? In the 60s? Um, You know that that crime today would have stayed in the news for about a day, maybe two? He killed three people. He and his followers killed three people and painted weird things on the wall. Uh... Diana Tennant's brother is in from California, and I was there with the family after the passing of her father. And he is a federal corrections officer, works at a federal prison. And the the people that come in there now, we're, we're talking mass murderers, and life is so cheap. And what has happened in our culture, in our country, even though this is talking about the promised land, what's happened in our culture is because we have disregarded what God says about the value of life, life has become very invaluable. Is that right? People get old, euthanasia. If they're a trouble before they're born, just kill them. And as I I think I said this last week, I was watching that Dennis, I mentioned it Wednesday night, Dennis Kucinich, that that wonderful congressman from Ohio, was on uh, Fox News with some actress 
talking about this great movement that they're doing to keep us from doing medical testing on chimpanzees. The first question I would have asked them was this. Are you for abortion? And you know they are, right? So let me get this right. Save the chimpanzees, kill the babies. Where does that kind of thinking come from? From not valuing life the way that God commanded us to value it. And here's what the Bible says. The person that hangs on a tree, that person is accursed of God. Is that right? Did Jesus Christ deserve to be accursed of God? And see, what we have to understand is that even though you may have never killed someone, you are still under the curse of the law, according to the book of Galatians. Is that correct? If you are a human being, do we have any human beings here today? If you're not sure, see me after. All right? If you are a human being, you are alive. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Then the Bible says, for the wages of sin is death. You are under the curse. All of us are under the curse unless we've been redeemed, bought back from the curse of the law by Jesus Christ, who was our sinless sacrifice, who hung on that cross for us. What a wonderful, wonderful thing. We don't have time to go there, but of course, I'm sure many of you noticed they're not supposed to be there overnight, and that's why they would come and break the legs of the men who were hanging on the cross when Jesus Christ was there. But the Bible said he wouldn't have any broken bones, and so he gave up the ghost before that happened. Right? Because of this passage, it's fulfillment of, of scriptural prophecy. Go back to Galatians chapter 3. So, that's what the passage teaches. Jesus Christ paid that penalty for us. But what does that mean to me? And we'll be done. Just want to make a couple of points here and we'll be done. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Look at the next verse. Galatians chapter 3, verse 14. That the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ. So we don't have the blessing. The blessing of Abraham doesn't come from Abraham. It's the same kind of blessing that Abraham got. You see? It comes from Jesus Christ. That we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. What's the promise of the Spirit? That's the Holy Spirit. When a person gets saved, the Holy Spirit of God comes to dwell in them. All right? Now, we're not going to take the time to go through that today. But what is the result of that? Go to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 2. Now, I didn't take the time to set this up, so let me do it just for a second. When the Bible is talking about the, the Christ on the cross in Galatians chapter 3, the, the context of that is not so that we can be saved. Paul took care of that in Galatians chapter 1. We understand the context of Galatians chapter 3 is so that we can live for Him. It's us remembering what Jesus Christ did on the cross as believers so that we can live the Christian life. Okay? That's what's going on. So now, 1 Peter chapter 2, and look at verse 24. Speaking of Christ, who his own self bear our sins in his own body, not in his soul, right? In his own body, on the tree. Now look at what it says. Why did he do it? That we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. 
All right? So Jesus Christ died on the cross. He bore our penalty so that we can live righteously. So that we can live righteously. This context right here is the same thing. This is not describing the, the, the death of Jesus Christ so that we can be saved. That's given in other places. This is saying the reason that Jesus Christ died should have a result in the life of the believer. And what is that? That we would live unto righteousness. Well, now that sounds good, doesn't it? You can live unto righteousness. Now, if I were a legalistic preacher, I can make a list of things that you're supposed to do. If you're going to live unto righteousness, you can never go on eBay because that's gambling. And if you're going, what? Huh? A church that I preached in, a church that they fellowship with, had disciplined someone in the church because they'd been on eBay and it was gambling. They kicked them out of the church because that's not righteousness. Do you see how good you guys have it with me as your pastor? <laughs> I'll be standing at the back. You can give me tips as you leave. Now, look, I could start heaping behaviors on your head. All right? So now, because Jesus Christ died on the cross, he did that so you could live righteously, let me tell you my pet peeves and have you behave in a way that is the picture that I, that I have of what holiness is. But the Scripture doesn't allow us to do that, does it? The Scripture is worse than that. Because unsaved people can behave in a certain way. Believers are to be a certain way. You know that the context here tells us exactly what to do? Go back with me to verse 19. We're in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 19. For this is thankworthy. If a man for conscience toward God endure grief. Did Jesus Christ endure grief? Yeah. Suffering wrongly. Did Jesus Christ suffer wrongly? We saw that already, didn't we? He was sinless. He died in my place. Look what it says in verse 20. For what glory is it if when ye be buffeted for your faults, ye shall take it patiently? So, uh, you know, uh, have you ever said this? Well, I brought it on myself. Something happens. Well, I earned that. I brought it on myself. That's one thing. We can take that patiently. But when we have not brought it on ourselves, that's hard to take. Right? Look at the next verse. Or the middle of the verse. But, verse 20, But if when ye do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. See, Jesus Christ modeled that for us, didn't he? How do we know that? Look at the next verse. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. One of the big problems we have in Christianity is churches all over America, here's what they're telling people to do. If you want to go to heaven, be like Christ. What would Jesus do? If you want to go to heaven, be like Christ. Feed the poor. Make a whip and beat people out of the temple. You know, I've never heard him tell me to do that. Right? Because what they mean when they say be like Christ is give someone something else that's yours. Uh, I think it was Josh Ferrier who said, it was so cold out today that he saw a liberal with his hands in his own pockets. <laughs> 
that's awesome. I've known Josh for about 12 years, and that's the first funny one. All right? So what's it speaking of? So if we're going to be like Christ, if we're going to follow His example, if we're going to follow His steps, look at what it says in verse 22. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. How are you doing? So far, how are you doing following Christ's example? Well, if you're going to follow Christ's example to get to heaven, you better start. Right? No. No. He died on the cross. And he demonstrated for us what true holiness is. But then, look at some things that we can genuinely apply to our lives. Verse 23, Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. That's hard for me. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. He endured our grief. He did all those things that we might live unto righteousness. So now that I'm saved, he wants me to live like that. I say, I don't deserve this kind of treatment. You know what God says? Do right. They mistreated me. Do right. They lied about me. Do right. They betrayed me. They violated me. Was Jesus Christ betrayed? Was he violated? Did people that claimed to love him run away from him? And what did he do? He laid down his life for them. He loved them. You say, look, I know Jesus did that. I can't do that. It's not in me to do that. I'm so glad you realize it. How many of you, it's really hard for you to get punched in the face? Is that difficult? I like it. It's cool. That's a teenager. You'll get over it. You know, the brain's not quite finished molding. <laughs> right? You, like to get you really like to get punched in the face. And threaten not. I can't do that. My natural response, honestly, folks, my natural response is as soon as I see the swing coming, before it even comes close to connecting, I'm already hitting back. How many of you, that's, the, that's your same nature? How many of you, if you think there might be one coming, you're hitting? <laughs> right? It's not in me to do this, Lord. That's exactly right. That's why Jesus Christ died on the cross. That's why he died on the cross. Can I tell you something that won't help you do this? The law. The law is not going to help you love your mother-in-law. The law is not going to help you love that boss that's a jerk. The law is not going to help you love that neighbor that keeps dumping the dog mess in your yard. The, the law is not going to help you love those people. What's going to do it? The grace of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit living in you. Why? Because you're not under the curse of the law. You have the promise of the Holy Spirit of God in you. If you keep trying to use the law to change you, I got to do this, I got to do this, I got to do this. No, no. You got to do something a lot worse than that. You got to be this. You know, there's a big difference between me going to Brother Farrier and saying, Hey, brother, it's so good to see you. What's going on in your life? 
There's a big difference between that and actually caring what's going on in his life. Uh, Any of us who have been taught to be civil can do that. Uh, How are you? I'm fine. How are you? That's just a greeting. It has this much meaning. For a believer, it's supposed to have meaning. How do you bring yourself to genuinely care for others? How do you bring yourself to genuinely forgive genuine wrong? How do you do that? You don't. The Holy Spirit's got to do that through you. The only way you'll ever get to where you can do that is where you crawl out from under that curse and you just lay yourself at the feet of Jesus Christ and say, Lord, forgive through me. Heal my broken spirit. Heal my wounded conscience. Heal my anger, Lord. Please make me more like you. Help me to respond with Christ-likeness because of what you did. I deserved to go to the cross. You didn't deserve to go to the cross. You did that for me. Through that, you did it so that I can live righteously. So here's my question to you. I'm done. Will you live righteously? If you've never received Jesus Christ as your Savior, it's impossible. Amen? If you have received Jesus Christ as your Savior, He did that as an example for you so that you can live righteously. But you can't do that by the works of the law. You can't do it through discipline. Today I'm going to forgive. Everyone that is mean to me, oh, that's all right, brother, I forgive you. I forgave you before I met you today. Because I'm Bible man. You can try, but that's not going to last very long. Do you know what the best thing is? Walk with the Lord. When that happens, Lord, did you see what that guy just did to me? Yeah, I know. They did it to me too. Let me tell you how to handle that. You see the difference? It is completely different. So the question is, will you be righteous? That's why Jesus Christ died on the cross, to redeem you from the curse of the law. The problem with Christians is we love crawling right back under that curse. We love crawling right back under the weight of that law. The Holy Spirit is not in you to make you guilty. The Holy Spirit's in you to convince you of sin so that you can find peace, so that you can find joy, so you can get it right, confess it, and live according to the power of the Holy Spirit of God. Amen? Christ, do you all know the verse? Let's try and say it together. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. That's what he did for you. That's what he did for me. Praise his name. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Obviously, Lord, we don't deserve what you've done for us.